Listener Production. Hello, happy Friday. Sasha Barbagat and Katrina Blowers with you for today's episode of The Briefing. Christmas is just three days away and plenty of us are feeling a bit of trepidation, or maybe a lot, at the prospect of spending time with family members we might otherwise not want to talk to. If you are bracing for some awkward conversations, we've got you covered rehearse some of the points that you want to make and conversations you want to have. So to actually own the narrative around, you know, again, depending on the family, depending on the context, um, not thinking that you're going to go into, you know, needing all of your year nine debating skills. Yes, handling all those awkward conversations at Christmas time. Later in the episode, Tom Tilly and psychologist Jocelyn Brewer will step you through what to do to have a happy Christmas, even if Aunt Mildred decides to have a go at you for not being married yet. First, though, let's get into today's biggest stories. It is Friday the 22nd of December. We begin with the news that at least 15 people have been killed after a gunman opened fire at a university in Prague. 24 others were injured in the attack, with local police responding around 3pm local time. Later reporting, the shooter had been eliminated. All this happened in the Philosophy Department building of Charles University, where the shooter was a student. Police say the father of the man was found dead earlier on Thursday. The area's been sealed off by officers. It's a busy spot for tourists in downtown Prague. This has become the Czech Republic's worst ever mass shooting. Now, the Czech Republic hasn't had too many incidents like this before. The mayor has given an interview since saying that we always thought this was a thing that didn't concern us. And now it turns out that unfortunately, our world is also changing. And the problem of the individual shooter is emerging here as well. Very sad, especially for this time of year. Mm. And Authorities don't think it was related to international terrorism or motivated by extremist ideologies or groups at this stage, uh, but they have not released what the motive was. They did say that the father of the shooter was found earlier in the day. Uh, So yeah, there's going to be obviously a huge investigation into that. So sad, like you said, Katrina, so close to Christmas. The judge in the Bruce Lerriman defamation case against Channel 10 and Lisa Wilkinson is expected to retire later today to consider his verdict. Lawyers for the former Liberal staffer will deliver their closing arguments today. The barristers representing 10 and Wilkinson gave their final submissions yesterday during which they claimed Lerriman is a fundamentally dishonest man and made bizarre and absurd claims about what happened the night Brittany Higgins alleges she was raped. They also rejected Lerriman's assertion that nothing sexual happened when the pair went back to Parliament House in the early hours of March 23, 2019. Lerriman has continuously denied the allegations and is suing Channel 10 and Lisa Wilkinson, claiming he was defamed when they aired Higgins's allegations on the project in 2021. The New South Wales Police Commissioner has not apologised for police negligence following an 18-month inquiry into gay hate crimes in the state between 1970 and 2010. What the inquiry has done is expose how badly handled many of these cases were. That's Commissioner Justice Sacker there. The Commissioner found after looking closely at 34 deaths over the 40-year period that there was objectively reason to suspect bias was a factor in 21 deaths and was a factor 
factor in four. He also described police of the time as negligent, dismissive or hostile with shameful, homophobic and transphobic attitudes. The inquiry has recommended fresh inquests in four of those deaths, Sasha. Yeah, and the commissioner also blasted how police acted during the inquiry itself, uh, saying they failed to act as a model litigant, criticising them for long delays in producing material and for being adversarial or unnecessarily defensive. He stopped short of formally recommending an apology from New South Wales Police, but did urge them to consider it. He said the absence to date of an apology has been extremely difficult to understand. The New South Wales Police Commissioner said she cannot undo what has occurred previously and that suffering from the attitudes of the past is deeply regrettable. Katrina, this is one of those stories that I find hard to believe that there has been such pushback from New South Wales Police in responding to this. I recently visited a space in Sydney called Qtopia, which occupies the former Darlinghurst police station and heard some really horrific stories of what gay and lesbian people went through, particularly in the 70s. And, you know, this inquiry was to shine a light on that. And I think we can learn from the past and New South Wales Police hasn't really, you know, taken up the mantle to say, yep, we own it and and we're going to be better. We're going to an extraordinary story out of the US now with a man declared innocent and walking free from jail 48 years after he was wrongfully convicted of murder. Glenn Simmons was sentenced in 1974, but lawyers say the prosecution in the case withheld some evidence from the defence. Authorities had previously stopped short of formally recognising that Simmons hadn't been involved in the killing, but rather that he was considered wrongfully imprisoned because of some serious violations of legal procedure. But then this week, an Oklahoma judge has granted him a finding of actual innocence. Now, Sasha, that's pretty uncommon in the US justice system. It also opens the door to him seeking some compo. Uh, Simmons is the longest serving wrongful imprisonment case in the US. Bit of a crazy and um, really awful plot twist though. He's now seeking treatment for cancer, which was diagnosed only after he um, walked free. So, you know, he says that's nearly 50 years of his life wasted. Um, So I'm sure a compensation case is afoot. Yeah, absolutely. And as it should be, 48 years, uh, as you said, the longest serving wrongful imprisonment case in the US. It's hard to believe, you know, spending all that time behind bars for something that, you know, according to the law, there was reasonable doubt that that he did. So, yeah. And like you said, an awful twist there. But, you know, hopefully being able to get out and spend what's left um, of his life, you know, in freedom, hopefully that gives him some comfort. And if today feels especially long, that's because it will be. Today is the summer solstice. That's the day we get the most sunlight of any other day of the year. The Southern Hemisphere is now at its furthest tilt towards the sun. Now, we usually think of solstice as referring to a whole day, but there's actually a specific moment when the Southern Hemisphere is at its closest tilt towards the sun. And this year it will be at 4.05pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time, Katrina. So, yeah, uh, plenty of time in the day today to get what you need done, spend some time in the sunshine if you can.
<laughs> I know you love a nerdy weather story. This is something <laughs> I've learned about you that you love nerdy weather facts. So I, I did do. my own research on this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and you know, I always think about summer solstice as being the hottest day. Apparently it is not, even though we've had some hot days leading up to today. Apparently the hot weather comes after the summer solstice. It takes a couple of weeks for the earth's temperature to warm up. So um, after getting all that extra sunshine, you can expect hopefully in time for those of us who have annual leave after Christmas, we might get those warmer temperatures then. Mm. And hopefully, uh, yeah, that that wet weather that we predicted earlier this week, that's, well, we didn't predict, the Bureau of Meteorology predicted uh, happening over Christmas, you know, after that, hopefully some sunshine and some nice weather for the holidays. Hey, thanks Katrina so much. And now speaking of the holidays, we're going to get into Tom Tilly's chat with a psychologist about how to handle awkward conversations this Christmas. So Jocelyn Brewer is a psychologist who is already being seeing people worried about Christmas Day. People coming to her asking, how do I work through my own personal issues? How do I prepare myself for conversations that I know might rattle me? So she's going to share some of her wisdom with us as we head towards this special time of year. Jocelyn, thank you for joining us on The Briefing. Pleasure to be here. So the cliche is the the racist uncle, which to me instantly implies that you're talking about a generation gap, mm-hmm. um, that it's a, a social issue or a worldview sort of thing that divides you or yep. makes you not like this person. And also maybe someone you don't see that often. But is that like really a good representation of the sort of conflicts that happen in families at family Christmas because I imagine often it's, you know, maybe someone a lot closer like a sibling or a parent and much more personal stuff than these big world issues that you might sort of start banging the table about at the end of lunch. Yeah, look, Barry on the booze is one of those stereotypes and it's Mm. there because stereotypes exist. Mm. But what we also find is that young people who have been exposed to tons of misinformation and disinformation can also strike up some of those like unhelpful conversations as well. Mm. Um, And rather than being really big political things, they can be kind of the casual racism and some of the more underhanded jibes and personal kind of attacks. About your life. About your life yeah. and about your values and what you stand for, especially mm. given the year that's kind of we've been through. Okay. So if it's critique about your life, I think I imagine that that happens a lot. It sort mm-hmm. of probably comes up in the how are things going in your life conversation mm-hmm. and the sort of comments, reflection, even just tone could probably be a bit of a trigger for people. Absolutely. I think many people are kind of on the front foot. They're feeling like, okay, I'm going to get all of these questions about my love life, about my fertility, about my parenting styles. And so sometimes we go into these situations kind of ready for a fight, expecting the worst rather than presuming that people are really just trying to connect. They're trying to find a way in. We maybe haven't got the relationships with our family that we had 10 or 15 years ago. So rather than kind of maybe leading the conversation and being able to kind of not make a joke out of it because some of these things aren't joke worthy, but really lighten the mood and lead the conversation. We do wait for the kind of the dreaded questions or the attack, (laughs) which then sets up, you know, not necessarily for a collaborative, empathetic conversation. Let's sort of step through this chronologically. We're now a few days out from Christmas. What about, you know, this point of the process? You're you're heading into Christmas. Mm -hmm. You know 
there's family members there that might cause you trouble. You've maybe had, you know, history of it in the past Mm -hmm. or there's something about them you don't like or something about you that they don't like. Can you prepare yourself? Yes, you can take lots of long naps so you're not as exhausted as many people are going into this incredibly, you know, high emotional sort of time, Mm -hmm. high emotion, low energy. There's ways, I guess, I would rehearse some of the points that you want to make and conversations you want to have. So to actually own the narrative around, you know, again, depending on the family, depending on the context, um, not thinking that you're going to go into, you know, needing all of your year nine debating skills, but to, to really think about, well, what can I say that actually seeds a conversation, takes it in the direction that I want it to go in without feeling kind of hijacked into having to justify my life, my choices, my beliefs, Etc. What about even deeper introspection as part of the preparation process? Because I think often in families, there are things from our childhoods, you know, it might not be at the sort of stage of being a trauma, you know, mm-hmm. categorized yeah. as a trauma, but yeah. stuff that just is so deeply held, even subconsciously, that may be so easily sort of triggered by a comment, reaction, even a look from a family member. Can we sort of work on our own vulnerabilities and get our heads around those and could that help? Absolutely. Look, or does that cost too much in psychology appointments? Yeah, well, it does, <laughs> but there's lots of fantastic resources out there. Um because all of us, regardless of whether we've had a big T trauma, we have little T trauma. We've Mm. had to develop and grow and experience the world in a way that usually gets disrupted at some point, whether it's, you know, minor, we didn't get the present that we wanted or, you know, really significant things Mm. that have happened. We do have patterns and within our relationships, within our family. So, I know when I'm around my family, I regress to a 16-year-old and my husband has to call me out for 16-year-old Joss who's showing up because those patterns and ways of being are so strong. Um, So part of it absolutely is doing that work and also taking the perspective of what have these other family members brought to the table? What's going on in their life or what are their experiences that have gotten to the point where they believe in what they believe in so fervently or so close-mindedly or whatever you know, mm. is going on there. But to really kind of bring curiosity and um, empathy to trying to understand that a bit more because that's where you have the really interesting conversations rather than just the headbutts and the, you know, know your wrongs and, you know. Okay. Empathy, interesting yes. word in this context. Mm-hmm. So you might be in, say, a few scenarios. One might be that someone said something about you or your life or your choices that really gets you fired up, you're mm-hmm. sitting there feeling that frustration, or maybe someone said something crazy about a broader issue or crazy mm-hmm. conspiracy theory, for example. You, you're sitting there, you're in the moment, we're working through this, you're feeling the rage. Mm-hmm. What should you do? Keep listening? Should you hold fire? How do you how do you deal with that oh. rage as it quickly um, comes up like yeah. lava in a volcano? Yeah, absolutely. So, look, there's a few things that your brain is going to do really, really quickly to assess what to do. It's going to appraise threat. Who's in the room? Who's watching? Um, What are the um, power dynamics? Do you feel supported? You know, is this a safe thing for you to express? And again, yes, therapeutically, I would encourage people to express those emotions by naming entertainment to say, hey, this is really setting me off. I actually feel really a little bit upset by this conversation and I can feel my body. And you might actually say, like, I feel this rock in my heart when you talk about me like that way, Mm. that way. You might actually put into words some of these things so that people actually understand you are a human experiencing that. You are not disinhibited or disconnected from their feedback. 
And you might actually say things like, um, you know, I, I didn't think I was stepping into a therapy session or I don't, I actually haven't given you permission to give me that coaching. I haven't asked for that. So again, some of these kind of micro skills are just not things that I guess many of us and certainly generationally people have had. Mm. Even just to say what you just said, hey, this is making me feel dot, 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 that requires some awareness, strength and already vulnerability. And, and to do that is hard. But that vulnerability instantly sort of, that's probably when the, the people around you stop talking and start tuning in. You know, that's intense. Yeah, it's pretty gutsy. And again, you have to make some of those decisions relatively quickly. Or maybe you've thought about this before in, in terms of where you're willing to go in order to create some change around those conversations. You can suck it up and you can rage about it for the next two days or, and then not see them again, um, and then have to go through that year on, year out. And it becomes, I think, it devalues what we, what our families are. And that's probably already happening. So then it gives us more excuse to like, oh, I'm not going to that thing or, you know. And families, I think, we can't choose our families. We do choose our friends and we shape our friends quite carefully. And we ditch and dump friends or ghost friends when they're not kind of aligning to what we want. One of the barriers to doing what you just said, which is to kind of get real in that moment and just explain how you're feeling, that it's creating a vulnerability for you. Yeah, one of the things going against that is not wanting to spoil the mood, mm. not wanting to ru ruin the occasion. Festive occasion, So yes. I guess there's two ways through that. One you just touched on, which is to just write it out and deal with it, knowing that it's short-term and mm -hmm. it's maybe not worth it. The other way is to open up that vulnerability and to deal with it or set the boundaries like you explained if you go down that path, you also maybe need to know how to how to recover it. Yes. Which I think is an interesting skill or, you know, Absolutely. challenge. Absolutely. And so this is not about then like launching into the big emotion and it being a super big drama, mm. but naming an emotion like, hey, this is kind of tickling me in places that doesn't feel uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, like it's setting okay. me off. Yeah. Um, could we change the conversation? doesn't mean everyone needs to lose it because, oh, somebody's expressed an emotional need. And in fact, that probably signals there's a whole bunch of, of work mm. to do. Emotional need, that's something that really jumps out at me there because it's in the social structure of these moments, I think there is a, a shared expectation of the emotional bandwidth people will stay within. That's so to express yourself in the way you just talked about, say so this is making me feel essentially something outside of the bandwidth yeah. of polite, happy Christmas vibes. Yeah. That's Not where already it sort of goes, oh, oh we're all uncomfortable because we expect it to stay within yes. These, these, these limits. And we expect people to not express those emotions. We expect people to be polite and to, to suck it up. There's absolute trade-offs. And you're, as I say, your brain will give you very clear signals as to whether or not it's really safe to do that. And you have to check in with your own energy, maybe how many glasses of champers you've had or <laughs> whatever. Some of those other dynamics. Do you have an ally in the room? Well, yeah, there's often, you know, the peacemaker in the family mm -hmm. or someone who's quite attuned to mm -hmm. other people's emotional needs. So we've mostly been talking within the, the first person about when you're facing mm -hmm. something like that. But I guess the other question, and this is also tied to the idea of recovering from yes. an emotional outburst or mm -hmm. outburst outside the narrow mm -hmm. confines of yes. Christmas. What if you're witnessing one of these moments? Mm -hmm. What can you do to help the room and those individuals recover? 
Yeah, again, I think it's to validate the experience that that person has shared and to say, hey, it sounds like we really need to shift from this or, you know, move on. You might deflect. You want to be careful about not just then making it all back into let's open a bonbon or let's present Mm. time, but being able to acknowledge where that person's at Mm. and to acknowledge that, you know, it's okay to have these differences, to have these expressions and that we maybe just need to be a little bit more cautious about where the conversation goes. Great advice, Jocelyn. Thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. Great to be here. That was Jocelyn Brewer, a clinical psychologist and some really helpful advice there. I hope that helped or even more so, I hope you don't even need it because you just have a perfectly harmonious family. Either way, hope you have a beautiful Christmas day. Listener.